Welcome to From the Booth, the podcast sponsored by BYU International Cinema, where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema. I'm Chip Oscarson, co-director of the International Cinema Program. Joining me today, I have IC Assistant Director, Mariador Oscarson. Hey, Mariador. Hello. And fresh back from the Berlin Film Festival, we have IC Co-Director, Mark Yamato. Welcome back, Mark. Great to be back. Yes. Okay, Mark. So tell us a little bit about Berlin. You're there looking for films for International Cinema. Right. Trying to bring some some food back to camp, right? (laughs) (laughs) Berlin, it's an amazing film festival. Festival. It's done in conjunction with the European film market, and so you have close to 400 films that are playing, and so it you know it makes this that, kind that is of overwhelming. It is overwhelming, and yeah. the good thing is that there's a great community of people that you can talk to and get tips and things. Yeah. So it was a great week of watching. I think I clo- close to 30 films. I need to watch that many at least, right, in, yeah. it, it, to be, be able to justify going all the way over there. But it was a really good experience. A lot of European films, a lot of French films, Italian films, some good Korean stuff as well. So This is the hot moment for Korea, right? Yeah. I think they're kind of riding the coattails of Parasite here. <laughs> so. <laughs> Are there one or two standouts, that things that the you came Christian, back still thinking about? The new Christian Petzold film, uh, yes. uh, Undina, is a really great one. A really interesting kind of fairy tale, also kind of a modern look at identity and place, yeah. which is really interesting. A lot of film that takes place in Berlin, you know. Interesting. Um, yeah, there was a film called Alexanderplatz, which is was confusing because there's also like a theater at Alexanderplatz, and so it was hard to tell if it was a film or the location that it was playing at. But um, you know, I mean, it's the Berlin Film Festival, so they're they're playing a lot of German stuff. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Of course. yeah. But um, yeah. some really good stuff. A lot of Holocaust films. I mean, I think oh, we. Yeah. You know, we always have a few of those, and so... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, these are things that hopefully we'll be seeing in hopefully they'll fall make their or make, winter. Hopefully they'll make our, their way onto the schedule at some point. Yeah, so. And that's, the distribution. That's good. We'll have to work out that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, today on our program, we're going to be previewing the films that are going to be coming up the 11th to the 14th of March. In our preview shows, we promised no spoilers, but we will tell you some things that you can look for. Uh, the films that we're going to be talking about today include Woman at War, directed by Benedict Erlingsson, a 2018 Icelandic film about Hakla, a 50-year-old woman leading a double life as a passionate environmental mm. guerrilla activist. Uh, then we have a couple of related comedies, Preston Sturgis's classic 1941 comedy, Sullivan's Travels, as well as Joel and Ethan Cohen's comedy adaptation of The Odyssey, which is linked in ways we'll talk about to Sullivan's Travels, from 2000, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And then lastly, we have our documentary from Cameroonian filmmaker Rosine Miftego Mbakam, from 2018, The Two Faces of a Bamileki Woman. Well, let's start with Woman at War. The basic plot of Woman at War is that we have a woman who seems to live uh, a quiet life, but she has a secret double life, right? That she's this, not just an environmental activist, but a... a superhero. A, a superhero <laughs> kind of guerrilla blow-up, you know, yeah. towers to aluminum factories right. uh, activist. It's an interesting film to think about. Like, we've been talking about the ethics, right, of, you know, uh, of preserving the environment. But it really kind of gets that issue. And you, I mean, she's really, and we'll, we'll see this in the film, that she's very uncompromising in, yeah. in her activities. And at the same time, she's dealing with her other life. And and as, as you'll watch in the film, she's trying to adopt a baby. And so there's this, this kind of conflicting responsibilities that she has of, of kind of raising a child at the same time, kind of making change. And so what I really love about, love about this film is its use of, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a drama, but there's a, an interesting kind of comedic, Deadpan, dark, dark, dark comedy, maybe, or not dark. It's not dark in the way that some Scandinavian comedy is dark, yeah. but it certainly has a kind of edge to it. it. Has a little bit of an edge, a dramatic edge, I right. guess. Oh, definitely. Like the the undercurrent is definitely of a tragedy, but it, it is. There's a lot of of 
funny moments yeah. and endearing moments as well. This woman who you said wants to save the world, but as well wants to be a mother. And so are the two something that can happen uh, together? Yeah. And so it, it's a it's a it's a fairy tale of some sort, as the film director Benedict Erlingsen said. There is a definitely a, a, a flair for that, the fairy tale and yeah. the music. I won't say very much about it, <laughs> but the music is is fantastic. Yeah. It's an entertaining film. Yeah. I think it plays on, there's a tradition, especially in Icelandic literature, of the magical real, mm. right? Um, and we usually associate that with Latin America. But but in Scandinavia, and, and as I said, particularly in Iceland, going back to the sagas, there's this very kind of matter-of-fact realist style mm. where you'll be talking about kind of everyday realistic kinds of things, and then there'll suddenly be reference, and then the ghost came and did this as in the same tone, you know, like it doesn't mark it as the supernatural or something that, you know, that kind of breaks our frame of reality at all. That's why I'm kind of talking about this magical reel. And there's that is important in this film, I think, as well. You talk a little bit about the music, Marino. I think one thing to watch for is how often the director plays with us in what we think is non-diegetic music is actually diegetic music, oh, yeah. right? So many and times. so it kind of pulls the rug out from underneath our mm-hmm. feet about our frame of reference. And I think that that plays into these themes that you're talking about, about the, you know, we're passionate about saving the world. Are we actually being a little bit misanthropic sometimes in the way that we approach them? And choosing this film, it's Icelandic, it's beautiful, it's very well done, it's entertaining, but as well it's an important film because it has a crucial message so this is a plug for choosing this film, one of my favorites on the schedule this semester. Okay, so it, it, this comes with high That's recommendation. A That's a good endorsement, yeah. yeah. Okay, Sullivan's Travels, uh, this is one of the classic Hollywood comedies. This is from 1941, 42. Preston Sturgis is one of the, the great uh, comedic directors uh, from this era in Hollywood. The basic plot is that Sullivan, who's himself a director of kind of slapstick, lightweight comedies, he wants to make a serious social drama about how the working class and the poor live. As he says, a commentary on modern conditions, stark realism, and the problems that confront the average man. And the name of this film that he wants to make is, wait for it, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, right? So this is going to be one of our tie-ins that we're leading to here in just a second. Sturgis is himself a kind of directorial model for the Coen brothers. He he first uh, made his name on Broadway, and you'll notice in the script he is great at dialogue. Like he's the, it's so witty and it's so fast and kind of back and forth. I mean, this is the era of radio where you really had to have good dialogue, right? And this this permeates this film. But um, when he came to Hollywood to begin to direct, he was a little bit frustrated with the studio system, which was not about allowing a director to make all the choices that uh, he or she, usually he, uh, wanted to make. In one case, he sold the script for The Great McGinty, which this is a a film that went on to win uh, several Academy Awards, for $10 to the studio Ah. in exchange for him being able to direct it the way Mm. he wanted to make it. So, you know, and this is kind of the way that the Coen brothers operate Mm. a little bit as well, that they're willing to sacrifice, I think, commercial success in a lot of cases to maintain a certain kind of artistic integrity. So do you think that this week we need to see both Sullivan's Travels and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like, how do they complete each other? How do they... Well, so what you'll, you're going to find in Sullivan's Travels is that Sullivan then 
decides that in order to inform himself about how the average man has it, because he does live in his Hollywood mansion with his swing pool and everything else, that he needs to hit the road. And nobody wants him to hit the road because he's a very successful director and they're, they're worried what's going to happen to him. And nobody really wants him to make this film, right? That they're like, why would anyone want to go see a film about, uh, about poverty and about you know, this kind of realism, that you're good at what you do, keep doing it. Uh, so he, he continually tries to go out on the road and he keeps finding himself back at his mansion, you know, in Hollywood. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, part of the shtick. And of course, he, he's going to meet, you know, someone and um, I don't want to, you know, give away all of the plot points, but he eventually is going to uh, to be able to realize his his dream of, of experiencing what, you know, the average man has. The film is all about making stories, about making narratives. And the Coen brothers love these kinds of films, right? And so they're going to pick up on a lot of the milieu of Sullivan's travels, particularly as he ends up in the South. And of course, this is where, oh brother, where art thou is set. And they, uh, and they run with it. They really, uh, they, they take this and it becomes the, in a sense, it becomes the, the film, to call it socially realist is not entirely accurate, but it's much more interested in kind of showing this dark underbelly, so to speak, of, uh, of kind of Southern culture in the Depression, right? Um, and so it's picking up on this. There's some direct quotes. There's a chain gang going to a movie theater, which is a really uh, powerful scene, I think, in Sullivan's Travels that is quoted um, in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And they, they kind of riff on this in, in, in several different kinds of ways. So the thing to watch for with Sullivan's travels is, you know, the power of art. What is the role that, that art plays in, in our lives? What can it play in our lives? And how is this film aware about the way that it is itself a film and enacting what it's talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, look for the dialogue and, mm-hmm. and just how great the dialogue is. We just, we don't get this kind of good writing all the time. And you might ask yourself the question as well, what is Preston Sturgis ultimately saying about questions of social mobility? There's, it seems to pull in several different ways. Is it that he's saying that there's a kind of fundamental injustice that needs to be corrected? Or is he saying that people need to kind of understand their roles in life and how to occupy those roles? I think you can make an argument both ways. One last thing that I'll just kind of warn viewers for is that this is a a film made in 1942, and some of the representations of race are a little bit uncomfortable, and certainly we're not endorsing that kind of thing, but I think it's important to confront it and to, to look at it. Having said that, there's a one particular scene that you watch and you think, wow, this was made in 1941, kind of dealing specifically with the, the question of uh, African Americans. And it's very ahead of its time in thinking about, um, about civil rights. So it, it kind of has both elements, one at the same time, which isn't surprising, of course. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is not the same plot, however, right? It's not about um, someone kind of going out, you know, to have this kind of experience. Rather, <laughs> at least the way that they advertise it uh, from the beginning is an adaptation of the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Although, if it's an adaptation of the Odyssey, it's a very loose one uh, at best. I mean, we have an all-star cast, right? George Clooney took this role, some think, because he he wanted to continue on this uh, path of trying to to show that he's the modern Cary Grant, right? The thing that he hadn't done up to this point is kind of a, you know, a screwball comedy. And his character, uh, Ulysses, which of course is a reference to Odysseus, you know, is very much in a kind of comedic kind of vein. And then if you kind of look at some of the other references, uh, Ulysses' wife is Penny, right? Penelope, uh, who is not being faithful uh, at home. Mm-hmm. Ulysses he goes by Everett. He wears a long gray beard, disguising himself like uh, Odysseus does, right? When he makes his final approach, you get the 
the lotus eaters in the form of the baptismal congregation. You get the sirens in the form of the women washing at the river. You get uh, uh, Polyphemus the Cyclops, played by John Goodman, who's a malevolent you know, Bible salesman. You get uh, Homer Stokes, right, who's running for, uh, for governor. You get the, the song, The Man of Constant Sorrows, right, mm-hmm. which is uh, that a lot of people uh, look at the, the name Odysseus and sees this as a reference to this idea of a man of, of sorrows. And, of course, this is the, the song that uh, you know, was on the soundtrack that uh, actually won a Grammy Award the year that it uh, came out, but a song that uh, is from back from Depression era. So all of these things are these references that are kind of, you know, loosely, you know, pointing around. There's some other great things, too. The Tommy Johnson character seems to be a, a reference maybe to uh, Robert Johnson, the great blues uh, guitarist who supposedly sold his soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that All of this is, you know, all of this is there and more. I, I love the intertextuality of this film. I love the, I, I like the Coen brothers generally, that there is kind of a dark side to them a lot of times, that they like to mix the tragic with the comedic. Um, and I think that's you know some of the things that help this this film to to really work. A couple other things to watch for. Uh, this film is notable in that uh, it comes out in the year 2000. It's the first feature length film that made use of kind of complete color correction. That is that they digitally went through and they kind of laid a kind of sepia filter over the whole film, which gives it a really interesting kind of texture. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that this was done digitally to an entire feature length film. Marina, why don't you tell us a little bit about our documentary this week, uh, Two Faces of a Balameki Woman. So this documentary is the only one that represents Africa in our program this semester, which is the problem. Yeah, we're um, Africa light, aren't we? We do. We, we are. And we do need to be to do better next um, in the semesters to come. But our this college docu- accountants don't like it, though, when we send money to uh, Nigeria to buy films. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, yes. So this documentary is made by Rosine Mbakam. And she left Cameroon when she was 27 to live in Belgium, where she studied film and married a, a European. Seven years later, she returns with her young son to her native Cameroon. And this is a beautiful relationship. The documentary is is the relationship that she has to her country, to her mother, and as well to this community of women. So she wants to better review and understand her past and the place where she grew up, and it's made through conversations. So not only with with her mother Mabre, who now lives in the in the capital Yaounde, but she goes to the village as well. And there's just the, the presence of all these women who have been together all these years through the horror of war against the French colonizer, but as well the daily challenges of of life as a Cameroonian woman in an arranged marriage. So it's it's very it's it's a, it's a beautiful tale of the relationship between a mother and a daughter, but as well to place to history. Uh, there are questions of identity that you can look for. Of course, she's an expat, and look at the influence that her native culture has on her. And as well, the, it, it portrays the strength that the women share with each other and how much they help each other through life. It's, it's a beautiful illustration of their solidarity as they face harsh conditions. I think it's really interesting, too, the way that the camera really lets her mother and these other women talk. 
And there's kind of a almost meandering kind of mm-hmm. you know thing about the way that it. it it's goes very up. organic. It's very organic. But but what I really like about it too is that we see this in, in other kinds of ethnographic films where there's a real sense that the filmmaker is imposing a kind of vision about what they're supposed to be, and and Not you don't that. get that here. Yeah, that it's a very sensitive work. Yeah, that's it's much more reciprocal. The camera here, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU, which is supported by the College of Humanities. The hosts and guests of this podcast are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank Jojo Hegstrom-Pratt, our sound engineer, as well as the staff of the Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Look for our Week in Review episodes for discussions about the films that have already played, where we talk in a little bit more detail about the film. Films, not worrying so much about spoilers. Uh, we hope that you're excited about these upcoming films, and we hope to see you as well in International Cinema at 250 in the Kimball Tower. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Marianne. Thank you. Thank you.